You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 369 of the podcast Today is Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. It is the week of Easter. By the way, if you haven't been paying attention, I, for my part, sometimes lose track of where we're at in the calendar with regards to holidays. There's actually just a couple that I just remember consistently. Uh, Actually, two specifically, Thanksgiving and Christmas. All the rest... uh, uh, it's whatever, right? Like I, okay, cool. You know, I I don't mind any of them, including Halloween, although Halloween's my least favorite, for sure. Uh, but Thanksgiving and Christmas are the only two holidays I need, and Easter is an excellent holiday, but it's just qualitatively different. Uh, there is a sadness and a sobriety, and uh, just a gravity that makes it hard to be a favorite. But it is an important holiday. It is an important um, remembrance time. Not that we should only think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus this one time of the year. We should be thinking about it all year round. But there is something good, I think, about having a kind of family meeting as a church syncing up our clocks, our watches, our calendars, and saying, okay, all together, let's remember that our Savior was being brought into Jerusalem with palm leaves and shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, one week, and then the very next week, he was being crucified. I think it's very important that we all reflect on that and that there is a gravity. The, the gravity of it is it appropriate. It's an appropriate sentiment. It's an appropriate feeling. The sobriety that comes with this time of the year. But I don't want you to believe that uh, that's all there is. I don't want to believe that that's all there is. And of course, that isn't all there is. I mean, the refrain and the call... He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's very, very important. It's very important that we key in on that. I think it's okay for us to really get in there and grapple with the Garden of Gethsemane, grapple with the fact that Jesus was so distressed. He was so upset on the eve of his crucifixion, knowing he would be arrested, he would be tried on false, trumped-up charges. He would be flogged and ultimately paraded through the streets before being crucified and buried. He knew that, and he sweat blood. I've never been that stressed out. I've been stressed out before. We all have had our moments where we're stressed out. I've never been so stressed out that I sweat blood. But it says that Jesus did. It says that our Savior did. And moreover, 
He prayed to the Father, If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And that sets the example for us in several important ways, one of which is we obey God. That's chiefmost. That's foremost. That is of primary importance. Not in a legalistic way, not because thereby we save ourselves on our own power, but by God's grace, we have been adopted in if we're in Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We are part of the family and the household of faith. So we obey because we have the ability. We have the great blessing of being called to obedience. We have the great blessing of sharing with Christ's sufferings. And yes, even sometimes praying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. That can be, if Jesus did it, it can be an appropriate conversation for us to have earnestly and honestly with the Lord, but it needs to conclude with amen, which is so be it, which is as you will, not my will, but yours be done. That's how the prayer has to end, even if there is grappling, like some of the Psalms, like the Psalms of Lament in the Old Testament. How long, O God, how long will the wicked prosper? It's okay to ask those questions so long as the conclusion is, even if he slays me, still I will praise him. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But for this episode, I want to talk about a couple of things, one pertaining to marriage, another pertaining to what do you do when people stop listening to you or are not listening to you. I've got a Jordan Peterson clip to play for you. And also getting into Second Thessalonians this evening with the youth group. I help out and volunteer at our church in Evans, Colorado, Summit View Community Church with middle school ministry. And I'm on the schedule for tonight, and we are just starting Second Thessalonians. I'm very excited about that. I really enjoy... First and Second Thessalonians. There's something about, especially First Thessalonians, that is just, I don't know, it hits the spot for me. James and First Thessalonians are just really sweet and uh, almost like burn gel, <laughs> if you will. Uh, it's something about the tone and tenor and the subject matter and how it's handled that it feels a bit like uh, drinking a tall glass of milk when you've been eating really spicy food. There's something comforting about it. But before we get into Second Thessalonians tonight with the youth group, I want to focus on something that is towards the end of First Thessalonians, Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, the fourth chapter, verses 9 to 12 specifically. And I'll just read this for you, and we'll talk briefly about it, because it does pertain to the rest of what I want to touch on. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, 
But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And I quote. Now, there's so much here in this one little paragraph. There's so much to pull out. But I want to draw your attention to a couple of key items that are very special to me and which fascinate me and also, I think, are helpful. I think they're helpful for me. I think they'll be helpful for you as well. For one thing, notice the tone and tenor of what Paul says from the outset of this paragraph. You have no need for anyone to write to you concerning brotherly love. God taught you to love one another. And that's what you're doing. What an encouraging thing to say, right? What an encouraging thing to say. That's an attaboy. That's a good work. Excellent job. You are doing this well. And I recognize that. And I want to encourage you. Keep on doing it more and more. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Keep going. Elsewhere we read, to not grow weary in doing good. Press on. But here, he says, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly. This came up in a small group conversation that I had here recently in which we were talking about politics and controversy and how do we engage on these things and also aspire to live quietly and to mind your own business. I mean, it says mind your own affairs, but the common vernacular you and I know more readily, mind your business. (laughs) Live a quiet life, mind your business, and notice what he says next, and to work with your hands. How curious, how curious is that? Work with your hands. Why does he say that? Why would working with your hands be here? Well, I think part of why it would be here has to do with loving one another. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of James, which is the other of my favorite letters in the New Testament. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 reads, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I quote, emphasis added. (laughs) Although maybe it was also present there in the original reading of it and writing of it. But a very similar thing, I think, is entailed by what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4. Work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You're demonstrating something when you work with your hands. 
And we know this instinctively, but I want to tease this out so that we catch it, so we appreciate it more. Working with your hands, particularly in service to one another, is far more persuasive than words alone. Hey, I'll pray for you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. That's, mm-hmm. How does that strike you when you are in need? If you're even to the point, like James talks about, if you're in need of basic necessities, food, clothing, shelter, the basics, not lavish lifestyle, just the basics, which I need not tell you guys, in this time where we're going into a recession, Deutsche Bank is predicting we're going to hit a recession, oh, next year, and we're well on our way. We're going to see a lot more people we could tell be warmed and filled to. And we just are. Warnings were issued and unheeded that precisely this would happen. And here we are. And now all, all there is for it is to buckle up and trust the good Lord and roll up our sleeves. As Winston Churchill once famously said, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> but which is a more persuasive testimony? If I say to you, I'll pray for you, or if I say, I'm on my way and I'm bringing tools. Could you use this? Would this be helpful to you? That's all I got, but hopefully it helps. Yeah, I'll spend the afternoon working on this thing with you. Absolutely. I'm happy to. Thank you for asking me. It is a blessing to give, as Tevye says to Perchik. And then I say, I'm praying for you. Can I pray with you? I'm praying for you. I'm keeping you in my prayers. Let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. We urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly. You know how you can communicate volumes while still living a quiet life? Work with your hands. You know, I volunteered in a prison ministry here a number of years ago, just once, uh, just once. And not because I wouldn't have done more, but we moved to Montana and the Lord had other plans. But being my first time helping with this prison ministry, I got to be a table servant. And I spent the whole weekend making sure that lemonade glasses stayed full or water glasses stayed full or coffee cups stayed full, making sure that if anyone needed a napkin, I was getting it for them, making sure that the plate of cookies in the middle of the table was being swapped out, refilled. And I find it hard to describe the look in the eyes of the residents of Ross County Correctional Institute when they said thank you to me. And... I wasn't saying <laughs> anything, I thought, except for, would you like a refill? Or, here you go. Or, you're welcome. 
but I, you'd have thought I had preached a whole sermon. And guys were. There were guys preaching sermons. And the room was full of clergy and lay leaders. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly. Mind your own business or your own affairs, as it says in the ESV, and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I like that part too. I really like that part. You know, if I were to close my eyes, and I'm sure your vision looks different, but if I were to close my eyes and just daydream, which sometimes I do when I have a minute, my vision of fulfilling this would be a cabin in the mountains or in the foothills of the mountains, a couple dozen acres of pasture land, fenced off, of course. Not just fenced off, but fenced off with old tubing pulled out of oil and gas wells. You know, big, sturdy, strong stuff. Strong enough to keep a buffalo in or a small herd of buffalo for that matter. And we'd have dairy goats and a garden. And I'd sit there on my front porch in my rocking chair. And I'd write, drink my coffee, smoke my pipe, help the wife and the kids with the garden, with the dairy goats, with the chickens, with the buffalo. Probably we would have a horse or two for Lauren and the kids. I'm not much for horses, but we might get one someday, God willing. We'd live off the grid. We'd have our own well. And we would grow our own food, and we'd have our own electricity, and we'd have a quiet life, working with our hands, dependent on no one. I mean, this right here, this right here tells me, being dependent on no one, uh, that is not antithetical to the Christian life. Being independent is not antithetical to the Christian life. Now, being stubborn and proud and refusing help when you need it, now that, that might be a different story. We should not be considering ourselves more important than others. Whether we're giving help or we're receiving help, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. But it's important to recognize there is a difference there's an important difference between aspiring to live quietly, minding your own business, working with your hands, and always being able to only do that or do that perfectly. So sometimes we have to get engaged with things. Sometimes we have to weigh in. Sometimes we have to speak up. Sometimes we have to rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. Sometimes we have to implore our brothers in the church to turn from their wicked ways, to be saved. Sometimes we have to plead with those outside the church to put their faith in Christ, to be saved, to trust God. Sometimes we have to speak. Sometimes it's not a luxury that we can afford to live quietly, to mind only what everyone agrees is our own business. Sometimes what our own affairs and tales is broader than 
either we ourselves or other people would like to suppose. Sometimes. And sometimes there's nothing for it but to work with your mind. But still, you should work with your hands. You should pick up a broom. You've got a minute. You should vacuum and fold laundry and fix the leaky faucet in your kitchen. And you should rake some leaves and you should work with your hands. So that you may walk properly. So what's the whole point of all of this? The big idea, whether you can aspire or execute perfectly, purely, totally, the big idea, the goal, the objective is so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, those two are connected. That independence is connected to the walking properly before outsiders. When you're beholden to others, human beings being such as they are, strings attached can get in the way of doing the upright thing. The strings attached when a gift is given, a favor is done or promised, and you're dependent on the largesse of the person who has done you the favor, that can get in the way of walking properly before outsiders, clearly. But sometimes that's all there is for it, is you just accept, I'm at so-and-so's mercy, humanly speaking, yet God willing, we'll live and do this or that. Sometimes there's nothing for it except we've got to speak up. We have to say something. We have to plead with others to change course to change their thinking and their attitude. Sometimes that is our business. Sometimes that is our affair. Mankind was my business, Ebenezer Scrooge says. When we speak up, when we have something to say, we may not always be listened to. And that can cause trouble. That can be an issue. That can be frustrating. You say, well, hey, I spoke up. I felt like I should say something and I said something and they ignored me. It blew me off. What do I do? I mean, I, do I keep finding new ways to say it. Do I keep trying to come up with the right combination of nouns and verbs and adjectives until I unlock the uh, combination to the safe that is there changing their mind, hearing me? What do I do when they won't listen? Well, actually, similar to the topic of uh, yesterday's podcast episode. Related, I should say. I was also recently sent this short clip of Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson. I don't believe he is a believer. I don't know that he is. If he is, great. But I don't, not that I've heard. I've heard him asked often, but I've never heard him attest to it just yet. Not quite. He might be close. Maybe God is drawing him. We should hope and pray. But take a listen to this question. Jordan Peterson is asked at a public speaking event and his answer. And then I've got some thoughts for you. Yeah. I've, I've always wondered how to deal with that. I mean, I want to listen to what they are saying, but... Um they're not understanding what I'm, they're not trying to listen to what I'm saying. So what would you do in that situation? I'm answer that very briefly. Okay. There's a, a line in the New Testament that's relevant to that. Do not cast pearls before swine. 
And what that means is that if people are not listening to you, stop talking to them. And that's really, that is the best piece of advice that I can give you. And what happens is, is that if you stop talking to people who aren't listening to you and start watching them instead, they will tell you what they're up to. But so if you have things to say, say them, but you find people that will listen, talk to them. The ones who aren't listening, pull back. Because you're, you're devaluing what you have to say by offering it to an audience that does nothing but reject it. And that's a good guideline to life in general. So pull back. Pull back. Pull back. It's a trap. <laughs> Admiral Akbar says. Well said. No, that's, that's good advice. That's sound advice. That's biblical advice, actually. That's true. Uh, that's that's good counsel. You know, it reminds me of when Jesus sends his disciples out to all of the villages and towns and cities of Israel, first to the Jews and then thereafter, after his crucifixion, death, burial, and, wait for it, resurrection, then to the Gentiles as well, to spur the Jews on to jealousy, actually. Jesus is sending his disciples out, and he says at one point, Matthew ten fourteen, whoever shall not receive you or hear your words, shake off the dust of your feet when you depart from that house or that city. Shake the dust off. Now, what does that mean? According to gotquestions.org, shaking the dust off one's feet conveys the same idea as our modern phrase, I wash my hands of it. Now, I would say... Be careful with that. Pontius Pilate did the whole washing his hands of it. But in this case, it's correct. This is a good application of that principle. Hey, I tried to talk with you guys. I tried to share the good news of the kingdom of God with you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you wouldn't listen. So... I'm moving on. All my distress is going, going, gone. Pressing on, pressing on. And I won't sit back and take this anymore because I'm done with that. I've got one foot out the door. And to go back where I was would just be wrong. I'm pressing on. You know, Dr. Jordan Peterson, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I really love and appreciate. I genuinely do. I have a genuine affection for Jordan Peterson. Dr. Peterson, if you ever listen to my podcast, I'll just say this. I would love to see you in heaven. I would just love it. It'll be heaven without you, even if you're not there, but I would love to see you there. But his advice is good. It's sound. He's correct. And it doesn't mean you know, in the case of someone who is, let's say, a believer in Thessalonica, one of the biggest cities in Greece, port city, important port city. And if you're living there and you've got Jews who have rejected Jesus as Messiah, as neighbors, if you are a Gentile, they don't look at you as being legit. I think you are a mockery. If you're a Christian, you're a mockery of what they believe is correct. If you're a Jew, 
they are incensed against you and will make a complaint that you are possibly even a traitor to the emperor, the Roman emperor who rules over Greece at that point. You say there is some other king besides Jesus. Hmm, you are a troublemaker. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They're causing trouble. And so in that context, what are you to do? Are you, are you supposed to move away from Thessalonica, move to some other town, some other city? Well, maybe. That did happen sometimes. Persecution in one place drove Christians and the gospel with them all over the world. God used that for sure, just like God used Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery to accomplish good thereby. Not that it was good what they did, but God used all things for the good, for those who loved him and were called according to his purpose, including us, if you think about it, even in the case of Joseph. But maybe you don't get to shake the dust off your feet. Maybe you stop casting your pearls before swine. Maybe you stop giving advice where it's clearly not being well received. You say your piece, and then you do wash your hands of it. Hey, you know what? I did my part. I gave counsel. I gave correction. It wasn't listened to. wasn't heeded. I did my part at least. If that's all I can do, that's all I can do. And now I look at Paul's paragraph here in First Thessalonians 4. And when he tells me to aspire to live quietly, mind my own business, work with my hands, so that I can walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one, maybe that gives me some peace. Maybe that gives me some comfort. Maybe that's reassuring. Maybe that is a clear conscience by any other name, still smelling as sweet. I think it's the most intuitive reading of this passage that this is in the context of Christians in the early church not being well-received in all that they are sharing. And so then, in some measure, following the Jordan Peterson advice. Stop talking to them. <laughs> They're not listening to you. Stop talking. You're devaluing everything that you're saying. Watch. Watch and listen. And they'll tell you what they're up to. And then you know what to do. Maybe that informs your working with your hands. Maybe that informs how you mind your own affairs. Maybe that informs how you can live quietly and walk properly and be dependent on no one. Maybe that's part of what is meant when we read also in James Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Quick to listen? They're not listening to you? Oh, okay. Take it somewhere else, I guess. There should be a point at which we say, this isn't working. And you don't want to say that when it's not the case, of course, of course, of course. But... What is it that Jesus says when he says, don't cast your pearls before swine? He says, they will trample them under feet and then come and tear you to pieces. So sometimes 
we say what it is that the Lord has us to say. And like Jesus, we get struck in the mouth. And there's this great scene from when Jesus is on trial and he's being accused, he's being charged. And he answers back, (laughs) you have said that. Luke 22, verses 66 to 71. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they said, What further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. There, he admits it. He admits it. Blasphemy. You can't say that. You can't make that claim. Let's take him off to Pontius Pilate and have him put to death. So here we have a good example of sometimes you don't just live a quiet life and have nothing to say. Jesus sets the example for us in that. Sometimes it is not for us to just say nothing and let our actions speak for themselves alone. But there is something important about aspiring to live a quiet life. There is something that that changes about the way in which our words are received, the effect that they have when our faith is not without works. It is faith with works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, as James says. There's something that God desires there, not just for our well-being, but also for his glory, also for his pleasure, also for the sake of those to whom the gospel is foolishness. Prove it. Mm, Okay. I'm going to not just say be warmed and filled. But I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to demonstrate. I'm going to show you. You know, touching briefly, because I am pressed for time today, and I've got a few things I need to attend to. For instance, sending over $7,000 worth of checks I can't cash (laughs) until Wells Fargo's name is taken off of them by our home insurance company. I need to send those back along with the closing document saying that Wells Fargo's been paid in full and then they'll reissue the checks and then we'll be able to deposit them. Got to get that done today before I go back to work tomorrow for seven days. Plus also I need to get ready for the intro to Second Thessalonians this evening, plus also I have a chapter of, and this is why we got married to write, hopefully, I hope, Lord willing, very much on the topic of yesterday's podcast, although it won't match completely yesterday's podcasts. Yesterday was a kind of exploring the topic out loud before I write the chapter. But real briefly, this whole business with Young people wanting to get married, uh, young Christians in the church wanting to get married, I really want to emphasize through repetition that 
I agree that dating as a custom uh, has not worked well, has not served us well. But I think that one really big way that we could serve our children well, aspiring to live a quiet life, minding our own business, minding our own affairs, working with our hands so that we can have a good testimony, a good reputation with outsiders. I think one of the ways we could practically do that is by actually bringing back parlors. I think it's a great idea. I I actually do agree with Paul Washer in this, even though I don't appreciate his tone. And I think he maybe is banking too much on his celebrity status. He's got a shtick. Also, I'll confess, I don't like that he's reported to me as a good friend of J.D. Hall. Not in love with that. But that's for the Lord to sort out. Who am I to judge? I do agree with Paul Washer saying we need to bring parlors back. Actually, very similar. If any of you have seen those memes that circulate on the internet about how we need to do away with the man cave. The man cave needs to stop being a feature. You know, we have this tendency in the modern era for men to build out a kind of small pleasure palace miniature in their homes. Big screen TV, maybe an open bar, maybe a poker table, pool table, some trophies, some mounted uh, dead animals' heads on the walls, you know, leather, dark colors, and, you know, man cave, right? Uh, let's let's do away with the man cave. Right? We're not cavemen. You have a man cave, says to me, you aspire to being a caveman. Uh, let's bring back studies. Uh, let's bring back the home library wherein a man sits and reads and studies and ponders and meditates and contemplates. And yes, absolutely, have some big wingback chairs and a little table there for, in moderation, a glass of whiskey and a cigar or a pipe and sitting and talking about books. That's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. Let's bring back studies. You don't need a man cave because I would hope you don't want to become a caveman. You need a study so that you can study. So you can encourage your children to study. So you can encourage your friends to read books with you and be conversant in these big ideas. So we can take our country back, maybe. Seek the welfare of the city to which God has brought us in our exile, maybe. But if you've seen those memes or if you haven't, they abound. I think they're glorious. I think they're great. But I think a similar series of memes needs to be uh, devised and uh, distributed, wherein we do away with the dating scene and we bring back courting. And we do away with the convertible that the young guy shows up at the girl's house, picks her up in, and races off to the movies with. And we bring back the parlor. And, And it is a great idea. Actually, it's a very good idea that 
this would be a way that we work with our hands, that we would set up a room in our home in which the whole point and purpose of it is for our young people to sit there and have a conversation in a common room of the house where the rest of the family is going to walk in and out, not necessarily sitting there and barging in on the conversation and interrupting and being a nuisance. No, 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 no. But so that there is accountability, so that they are protected. The honor of the young woman is protected. The honor of the young man is protected, both of their ability to get to know one another and also be pure, present one another to themselves and themselves to one another, pure in marriage, if it be the Lord's will. That is fostered. That's encouraged. Now let's set up a space that is dedicated to that in which we're communicating, we're speaking with our actions, that that's something that is a value to us, that's important to us. I think that's a great idea, Paul Washer, actually. Really, I really do love that. And I think furthermore, if we do that, what you're more likely to find is the type of conversation that the young man and the young woman are having in this common room is going to be family-friendly. And lo and behold, what you might find in the process is that the family-friendly conversation is family-friendly in lots of ways. <laughs> For one, you know, mom and dad and the siblings, they're not going to just barge in. There's got to be some etiquette here on all parts, not just the young couple courting uh, their part, but also mom and dad and the rest of the family, they need to be observing a kind of etiquette, consideration, putting their best foot forward. But lo and behold, if everybody can kind of overhear and listen to some of what you're talking about, what's being discussed, then maybe that conversation is going to be more appropriate. Uh, let's put aside the uh, very cynical assumption that the only thing to worry about would be where everybody's hands are and that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the conversation. What are you guys discussing? And what can we glean about the kind of relationship you could potentially have if this works out, if it goes well, if you are fit for one another, if God has potentially blessed you with one another for life? I think that's a great idea. Not at all to brag, and not to humble brag either, and not to humble brag about not humble bragging, if you can follow that. But I will say, this home, when we very first moved in, that was one of the things that we decided to do that uh, I think has served us well. I think it was a good choice, and I would love for us to be able to do it at a higher level in the coming months and years, but we resolved that the front room of our house, the very first room that people come into when they come into our home, would be a place where we could all sit. And no TV, uh, just chairs, and because we're somewhat limited in how much space we have, uh, we have my wife's fabrics in that room as well, one shelf that's just entirely devoted to fabrics for upcoming projects. 
that shelf needs a facelift because it got moved and got broken in the move. But no TV in that room. Now, we do play the Oculus because it's also the most open room, the least cluttered room in the house. So we do play on the Oculus in there, but then we can put it away. And then we don't have the temptation to sit there and just watch TV when people come into our home or when it's our family. You know, if we need to have a family meeting, we're going to go to one of two places. We're either going to go to the dining room table. Hey, you know what? Family meeting, guys. Everybody sit down. I got a whiteboard right here. I can write some things up on the board as we're talking. You guys come up with some ideas, some questions. We're going to do a little illustration here. We're going to write a quote. We're going to write some to-do list things, to get things. We're either going to do that in the dining room or we're going to do that in the sitting room of our house and be, because it's a sitting room. And when I say sitting room, what I really should be more clearly saying is uh, it's a conversation room because conversation is important. And when people come in, we want to get to know them and not hide from each other, not hide because we're afraid to be known and we're afraid to know them. Come on in. Have a seat. How have you been? How's life going? What are you reading? How's work? How's family? How's... And again, we're not doing it at the level we'd like to at some point, but we're going to keep working at it. It's a step. You know, maybe you're in a similar situation where you think to yourself, ah, you know, I just don't know that we've got room for that. Do you have a TV room? Uh, maybe what you could do instead of having a TV room is... Put the TV in some other room where it's just a every now and then sort of a thing. You have more than one TV room. Hey, we don't always want to watch the same thing on TV. We're going to put a TV room up here and put a TV room down there. And then if we want to watch something different, we can each go to our separate corners. We have done that as well. Sometimes the youngest kids want to watch something upstairs. Sometimes the older boys want to watch something with me down in the basement. But... If we had to choose now, having experienced having a sitting room, I think thinking big picture, thinking long term, we have served our family better. I think we've served ourselves and our guests better by having this sitting room. Yeah, come on in and have a seat. Now, I wish we had more comfortable seating. I wish, again, we had a few less furniture items in there. Might have to look at, can we move some of those things to other parts of the house? But it doesn't have to be super fancy. It just has to be intentional. That's the big thing. Are we being intentional about these things? Are we trying to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind? And from that, flowing from that, are we loving one another as we love ourselves. Big questions. Important questions to leave you with. Maybe working with our hands, maybe minding our own affairs. Both together can take the form of us moving some furniture around. I don't know. I'll leave that between you and the Lord. I got to run though. That's all I got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. 
For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegerdashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.